Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. If you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to John. We're actually, in light of all that, we're talking about serving today. Uh, we are in our Red Letters sermon series, and, and so we're going to be talking about serving. Um, and I want to um, share just a, a couple of things with this. Um, First of all, I forgot, they did mention to me that I got that taco bar thing wrong, all right? It's not next Sunday, it's the Sunday after the 29th. So if you come hungry next Sunday, you're just going to leave hungry, I'm just saying. <laughs> Except that you're going to get the Word of God, which fills us up. Come on now. Uh, so don't, don't come for tacos next Sunday, but the following. And then ladies, I think they mentioned that, that uh, the Boots and Bling was on a, is it Thursday? It's on a Tuesday, the 25th. So we're going to get all this stuff right, all right? We like to be messy sometimes, but we're going to talk about serving today in humility. And so I just think it's fitting that this particular sermon series kind of fell on um, this Nehemiah Project Sunday. If you're a visitor, welcome. Um, we, we, we do love you guys. The video was right in the announcement video. We don't get to see or know everybody all the time. So please engage in the life of the church. Our goal is not to build this thing. We, we're, this is not what we're interested in, like how big we can build these four walls. It's not what we want to do. We do have very much interest in building into your life. That's what we want to be interested in. And so get engaged, get involved somehow so we get to know one another. But if you're here today, welcome to the family. We call ourselves a family. If you're a regular, it's always good to be uh, with you guys. Um, we're starting this series called Red Letters because we believe strongly in, in the Bible, if you read if you buy certain kinds of Bibles, they put the words of Jesus in red letters just so that they pop out so that you know this is what Jesus said. And so we think that it's so valuable and so important to read through the words that Jesus directly spoke because in those words that he directly spoke, we know there's healing in that. We know there's hope in that. We know there's power in those words. We know there's peace in those words. We know that those words are life-giving and that they've changed the eternity of this world. Amen? Those words have changed the eternity of this world. And so um, we, we really believe in it. And, and, and so that's why we're after this sermon series, Red Letters. What did Jesus tell us? And then how do we do that? Because we really feel like that's the strategy of Christ. We told you this last week. We really believe that the strategy of Christ is like, see what I did? Now go and do it. And it's, it's really fairly simple. First John 2.6 says, those who say they live in God. So if you're in here today, and you call yourself a believer, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. To me, that's the simplicity of what this is all about. To me, it's like, what did Jesus do? How do we make that our example and emulate that? And so that's really what we're after because as we said last week, we overcomplicate it sometimes, right? We make Christianity about a thousand different things. We make Christianity about attendance and what did you do here and how did you do this and yada, yada, all of these things. And yet the simplicity of it is those who say they live in God must live as Jesus did. That's it. And so we want that to be our heartbeat. So we're going to be looking through John 13 through 16, uh, chapter 13 through 16 over the next few weeks. And today, we just happen to fall on serving. And can we just be honest with you? How many of you find it difficult at times to, to be a servant? How many? Come on, you liars, get your hands up in the air. There we go, much better. It is not always easy serving. If we're just honest with one another, I mean, we all want to do it. We all know that it's beneficial. We get that we should. But I'm talking about in the depths of our heart, it's not always easy when it comes to serving. And some of the reasons are because we like to pick and choose what we do. 
We just simply like to pick and choose what we wanna, what we wanna do. There's certain things we don't wanna do. There's certain things that we do wanna do. And that's not always how the kingdom of God works. We don't always get to pick and choose where God wants us to serve, right? And so we, we like that though. I was talking to first service about my kids. They are the greatest example of this. They argue over who loads the dishwasher and unloads the dishwasher because they never wanna load it because all the plates are still dirty. Any of you guys out there? I'll unload all day long. I hate loading it, all right? But I tell them all the time, like, you guys have it so easy. When we grew up, we didn't have a dishwasher. We were the dishwasher, right? And my brothers, I remember this. We would have, like, fist fights over this stuff. Like, who had to wash the dishes? But more than anything else, who would stick their hand down and unplug the drain? You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, it just... It's disgusting even thinking about it because all of the stuff's down there and I can't even like picture sticking my hand in that. Anybody like that out there? All right, thank you guys for you that admitted that. We're, we're, We're just simply, we like to pick and choose what we do and I think the other side of it is that we're afraid of what serving might entail. We're just simply afraid of what serving might entail. I had a conversation, and I've shared this in here before, but it just came up this week. My, my dad, they go, you remember when your dad went on that missions trip to the Dominican Republic? I go, I do. They go, do, do you remember, he's told this story, and you've told this story. Do you remember what, he was, he was off, my dad's an evangelist, you know, and so he's all fired up about sharing the gospel. And he's like, he was talking about how he was gonna go and share the gospel with a thousand people, and people were gonna get saved, and all those things. He was gonna go over and serve the Dominican Republic, and he was just gonna evangelize the whole time. Do you remember where they put him at to serve? And I go, I do. He says, they put him there to shave the men for their hernia surgeries in their nether regions, all right? So my dad, if you remember, I've told this, my dad goes over and he's so excited to go over and serve in the Dominican Republic. He's pumped up about this thing. And they put him in the area where he's shaving the men with the razor getting ready for surgery, all right? In the nether regions, all right? Now, I can tell you right now, there was no clipboard that went around that said, who wants to shave the men in the nether regions? There's, there was no clipboard to sign up for that. I'm just telling you right now. There was no clipboard. It was just like, do you want to go and serve? And everybody's like, yeah, I want to go. I want to go to the Dominican Republic. But there was nobody there that was specifically saying, this is exactly what I want to do. And so his grand idea of what he was going over there to serve in changed a whole lot. But he always says the same thing. He goes, let me tell you, when I had the razor in my hand, I had their attention, all right? (laughs) There was a lot of Jesus discussion going on. (laughs) You know, we don't always get to pick and choose where we want to serve at. And so sometimes because we don't get to pick and choose and because sometimes we're afraid of that, we're afraid to jump in. Yet the kingdom of God does not say you get to determine where you serve. The kingdom of God just simply says to serve. And so that's where we're at to church, today, church. We, we, we have this desire to really dig into what servanthood, what being a humble servant really truly looks like. And let me just tell you an issue that we need to attack today that I feel like contends against this a little bit. And it's the word we've talked about a lot in here, and the word is entitlement. Somebody say entitlement. Man, entitlement is one of those destructive things that absolutely wars against servanthood. We see this rampant in today's society where we say things like, that's not my job. You know, I don't have to do that. I didn't do that. Again, just picking on my kids a little bit. We contend with our kids like, hey, we need you to pick that up. I didn't make that mess, right? And then we're like, but can you pick it up? But I didn't do that. You see what I'm saying? And so we contend with them. And then when we do convince them to pick it up, they use the same words all the time. If I do it, what do I get, right? I'm like, let me tell you what you don't get, all right? 
You don't get nothing, all right? And if you don't do it, what you do get is a whooping, all right? So I would suggest that you pick it up. And let me tell you what you do get with it too. You get food and shelter, all right? That's what you get. You get food and shelter. But I love you, bud, all right? I'm telling you, there is a mentality at times that comes against our natural flesh. Our natural desire is entitlement. Our natural desire, where we're always gonna be bent towards is selfishness. I mean, that's the natural thing that comes over us. It's take care of you. It's just, we talk about this a lot. That's the way that we're drawn to. And so because of that entitlement and that natural tendency to be selfish, that's what wars against selflessness and servanthood. So this is the war that we're facing right now. And this is what God is trying to change. Because I think we have this misconception in life that we're owed something. That's what entitlement is. I'm owed something. It's like the American way. I'm owed comfortability. That's what I deserve. I'm owed being served or whatever it is. And so this is dangerous. This entitlement mentality is dangerous when we're saying that we want to pursue you, Jesus, and we're saying we want to do what you tell us to do. We want to go after all of your words. We want to literally read what it is that you did. We want to follow suit with that. This entitlement is dangerous to that. The problem with entitlement is that it can take the heart that God desires for us to have. And the heart that God desires for us to have is a heart of serving others. And it can get us into a position of wanting to be served. It can get us into an absolute position of wanting to be served, feeling that we are owed something in life. And so Jesus, why this is so important is that Jesus came to break this. Jesus came to break it. This is how important it is. In Mark 10, 45, it says, the son of man came not, somebody say not, not to be served. Now you think about that for a minute. Jesus, King of Kings, came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So this is why this is so important in Philippians 2, 6 through 7. We'll get back to this in a little bit. But it says, he, Jesus, was God. He gave up his divine privilege, took on the nature of a slave or a servant. This is the heart of God. This servanthood mentality is the heart of God. This isn't something that we do to help us become a better Christian. It's who we are in Christianity because it's the heartbeat of God. This is God's plan. This is how God decided to change the world. His plan was to show people how much he loves them by serving them. And then he asked us to do the same things. His life would be to serve. That's Jesus came. He literally says it. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom to many. His life would be to serve as a lifestyle, not as an event. Amen? Let me, let me camp out on that for just a minute. I think there's so many times where we don't quite understand this identity of servant lifestyle, but we understand what it means to check off a box that will serve one or two times. You know what I'm talking about? The difference between the life of Jesus and where we're at sometimes in church life is that Jesus is saying, everything that I do is a lifestyle of servanthood. Sometimes for me, and I'll just use me as an example, is that I feel really good if I just simply served once a month somewhere, right? Rather than it being a lifestyle, it's just simply an event. And I think God's trying to change that within his church. And so let me tell you why this is important for us. Because serving and maturity in Christ go hand in hand. 
you want to grow in your maturity, you feel like right now, man, you're still kind of getting your feet wet and, and, and you're, you're kind of unsure about where you're at, maybe in your faith or whatever, jump into servanthood. And I promise you, when you're serving, your maturity in Jesus will grow up. Your maturity in Jesus will grow up. Serving and maturity go hand in hand. You'll never find yourself growing in your walk with Christ as much as when you begin to serve. Serving grows your walk with Christ because serving puts all of your knowledge of Jesus to work. Amen? So know that Jesus is love. I know that he's hope. I know that he's joy. All of those things will spill out of you all that knowledge of Jesus will spill out of you when you jump in, you begin to serve. Simply stated, maturity is simply matching your practice, who you say you are with your position in Christ, who he says you are. Amen? He says you're royalty. He says you're sons and daughters. He says that you have a purpose. Now go out there and prove it. Go out there and show the world that you are royalty. Go out there and show the world that you are in God's family. And so that's where we want to grow in. So John 13, um, starting with chapter uh, 13, starting with verse 2, um, I just really want to capture the heart of this, all right? I want to take the concepts out of this thing. We're not going to go through everything, but uh, listen to the concepts of this. Um, this is right before Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. This is a short window John 13, kind of through 16 that we're going to be studying. This is a short window. So in just a few short hours from this moment, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be hung on a cross. He's going to be put in a tomb. And after three days, he's going to rise from the dead. Amen. So we're talking about a short window. And anytime there's a short window, man, we want to lock into everything that Jesus is saying. Because that's when some of the most important things are going to come out. He says, the evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things, this is key, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, after that he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with his towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Simon Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Look what Jesus said. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who, those who have had a bath only, need to only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. And then here's the concept. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's who I am. Now that I, your teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Listen to this. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, listen to this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Somebody say blessed. If you do them. Now, there's a lot there. And so just real quickly, I want to break this down of why this is important in getting the concept of what Jesus is sharing here. And, and, and part of that comes from this. I, I think that our attitude is important in serving. Amen. 
We have to have the right attitude in serving. And so here in just a minute, I'm going to break down two things we've talked about in here before. But how important our attitude is. I want you to picture Jesus for just a minute. Jesus knows all things and he had the right attitude when it came to being a servant. He had the right attitude because as he's going along and explaining to his disciples why he needs to wash their feet, he literally says, one of you is not clean. He's talking about Judas. He knows what Judas is going to do. He knows that Judas is going to sell him out. Yet he didn't have a bad attitude towards Judas. He still knelt down and washed Judas's feet. He He knew that Peter was going to betray him, yet he didn't have a bad attitude about Peter. He knew that he was still going to kneel down and wash Peter's feet. You see, church, attitude is big when it comes to serving. A lot of times we'll serve if somehow it benefits me. A lot of times we'll serve if I like that person or that idea or that thing, whatever it is. Jesus' attitude, even in knowing that he was going to be betrayed, still had the attitude of his Father in heaven, which was an attitude of love. Regardless of how people were going to treat him, regardless of how people were going to receive him, Jesus' attitude was that of love. Now let me just tell you two kinds of attitudes that we approach serving in. One, there's the attitude of privilege, and two, there's the attitude of obligation. I want to throw those words out, privilege and obligation. Most of us like the attitude of privilege, right? We like that we have the privilege of of free speech. We like that we have freedom in worship. We like the privilege of being able to own our own businesses or whatever it is, right? Many of us, though, do not like that word obligation. We don't like to be obligated. I don't want to be obligated to pay taxes. I don't want to be obligated for this. I don't want to be obligated for that. And so we've got two words, privilege and obligation. And these two attitudes can tell us a lot about where our heart's going to be when it comes to serving. Let me break these down for you. There's that spirit of obligation when it comes to serving. And I want you to think about this for a minute. In the Old Testament... The people of God felt obligated to follow God, right? So God is speaking to them. The heart of God is love, love, love. He gives them kind of this Old Testament commands and these, you know, the, the, the Ten Commandments and all these things. And so they're, they're trying to follow God out of obligation, believing that somehow that's going to earn a better love affair with God. But as you read in the Old Testament, God's real heart was just love me. Just love me. It's all about just a love for me. But the people were very rigid in their approach. Follow the law, follow the law, follow the law. It was out of obligation. And what we saw happen was this. When it was birthed out of obligation, they failed constantly. Constantly. They would try to follow the Lord, they would fall. They would try to follow the Lord, they would fall. Until their hearts become so hardened from that that they just simply say, God, we're tired of your decrees. God, we're tired of your demands. God, your law is so rigid, we're just done with it. And scripture says they hardened their hearts. Why? Because obligation will always harden your hearts towards it. Amen? On the other side of this, though, church, on the other side of this, there's the spirit of privilege. Galatians 5.13 says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. The outpouring of Christ is simply that he gives us freedom. Because of the love of God over our life, we have freedom. We are free men and women. We are free men and women, but he's saying, look, in that freedom that you have, you have the privilege to either try to use it for self-serving or you have the privilege to use it to serve one another in love. Which one are you going to choose? And so I want to share with you today that I really believe that this spirit of privilege is something that we need to get back to in light of where we're at in church life. Amen. 
I'm not talking about a church. I'm talking about Christianity as a whole. That we have this privilege of the outpouring of Christ's love on humanity. And our only response, the way we respond to that is that we desire to serve him and those around us. That's what comes out of us. It's a privilege to serve. There's an old saying, church. There's an old saying that people will know we are Christians by our what? By our love. So what does love mean? You could define a lot of different ways, right? What does that look like? Do, do you, are you saying that people will know you're a Christian because they see you at church on Sunday mornings? Are you saying that people will know you're a Christian because they saw you with your Bible open at Starbucks? Are you saying that people are going to know you're a Christian because they saw you going to, to Bible study fellowship somewhere? Is that how they're going to know we're Christians? What does love look like? What does love look like in a tangible way? 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. What if serving, because Jesus said, I came not to be served but to serve and give my life. What if serving was the expression of love? What if how we served one another was the expression of love? And if you read all through the scriptures, all through it, it talks about serving one another, serving one another, serving one another, serving one another. What if the best way that we can show the tangible love of God is simply through servanthood? Let me read 1 John 4, 7 and 8 again. And let me change out the word love, all right? And I know we're not supposed to add or take away from the Bible, but he gets what I'm doing here, right? Let me change out the word love for the expression of love in serving. Let us serve one another, for serving comes from God. Anyone who serves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not serve does not know God because God is about serving. What if serving is the expression of God that we live out? Love has to be an action. It's got to have an action to it. We know that. And serving is the action of the faith that we put in God. That serving component of church life, the thing that, you know, we, we were talking about this a couple days ago in a meeting that we're in. There's that old thing that we always camp out on that, you know, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people, Right? It's the 80-20 rule. And somebody the other day, they spoke a word and they said, we are not going to live by that standard any longer. We are not going to live by that standard any longer. We're not going to do this 80% is done by 20%. We are going to be 100% in this thing together. Amen? This right here is what would change our culture right here. If we stop letting the world see that 80% of the work is being done by 20% of the people. Because the world looks in and goes, you Christians still don't even buy into what you're reading in your Bibles. We've got to change that mentality, and I believe that it starts with serving, not out of obligation, but out of privilege. I don't believe that any of the disciples and any of the martyrs, people who died for their faith for centuries and centuries and centuries, gave up their life because they felt obligated to do it. But I believe that everybody who's had a love affair with Jesus Christ that gave up their life for Jesus throughout the centuries, they did it because they had the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Are we in that same boat with them? And so once we get this thing of attitude and maturity out of the way, we get, we gotta have the right attitude and maturity in that. Church, why then do we serve? Why do we serve? And I just wanna share something very simple with you. We serve because he first served us. We love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. Let me tell you something today that, that I think is profoundly important. There's nothing that we do that we initiate with God. He initiates everything in our life. 
God is the initiator. He initiated love in us. He initiated servanthood in us. We serve simply because God first served us. We don't absurd that we don't, like the love of God didn't come on us and then all of a sudden we go, you know what, I think I'm gonna serve you. The love of God came on us. God serves us in our life. Like he brought Jesus to be a servant in our life and, and the Holy Spirit in our life. And so because of that, the way that we respond is that we love God back as the pinnacle of our life. This mic is driving me crazy. We love God back as the pinnacle of our life and we serve him out of that love. He initiated it first with us. And we've got to get that down. We serve because he first served us. A.W. Tozer has a quote on this. He says, the great heresy of the church, the great heresy of the church today is that we think we're in the entertainment business. Like we're just supposed to come in here and entertain and let's grow our church and let's, let's expand and let's build bigger buildings, whatever, 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 all right? I know everybody's got good hearts and all those things probably. But that's what he's saying. He's like, our, the greatest heresy of the church today is that we're simply just supposed to entertain people. And so the rest of the world watches, and they look in, and you know what they always say about church folks? They're consumeristic. They just come in and they just consume, but I'm not seeing them do anything out in the world. I'm not seeing them make a difference out in the world. We want to change that, amen? And when I say we, I'm saying Jesus wants to change that. He wants to flip that culture upside down where the church becomes the greatest servers in the history of mankind. We have to start now. We serve because he first served us. We're not in the business of entertainment. We're not in the business of tickling ears. We are in the business of raising up the body of Christ to go out of these doors and serve and change the world upside down. Jesus saw it this way. This is how he saw it. This is what makes Christianity fall into something so much different, different than all the other faith, faiths and, 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 and religions that are out there. We don't serve because we're trying to earn favor with God. We don't serve because we're trying to puff ourselves up. See, God, how awesome I am. I went to the Boys and Girls Club, swung by the food pantry, and then headed to the homeless shelter, right? That's not why we serve. We don't serve to puff ourselves up. We serve because he first served us. Verse 3 in John 13 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that the Father had given him all authority. So he got up and he wrapped a towel and he began washing feet. That is so profound to me. Jesus knew that all power and all authority had been given to him. So, it means there's something that he's about to do with that. So he got up and he didn't lord it over them and say, you disciples don't understand how amazing I am. You disciples don't understand the things that I can, you just don't even get how elevated I am compared to you. The first thing that he did when he says that Jesus knew the power and the authority that was given to him, the first thing he did was he went, and he kneels down and he begins going systematically to these feet of these disciples. He wasn't on a power trip. He wasn't on, look how cool I am. He simply said, all the power and all authority has been given to me, so I'm gonna get down. I'm gonna humble myself. I'm going to position myself before men that will leave me and abandon me. And I'm going to start watching, washing their feet systematically. And if you didn't, I've shared this before, but if you didn't grow up in farm life, all right, when Jesus is washing their feet and you go out to a farm and you see mud boots, that's not mud on their boots, all right? 
that's a bunch of crud on their boots. They've been walking around, not just in mud, they've been walking around in poop and all sorts of things. And in those days, they weren't wearing boots, they were wearing sandals. So the God of the universe is coming to wash poop off of your feet, knowing that he has all power and authority. Tell me any king, any great leader, tell me what that looks like in our culture and society today. We don't see that. Jesus is flipping the world upside down. He's showing them something different. We're not on a power trip, we're on a servanthood trip. And he's pulling their sandals off and he's washing their feet and these men are stunned. These men are stunned. They don't even know what's under, they don't even understand what's happening in this moment. You are the God of the universe. They've already declared him to be the Messiah. They said, we know that you've been sent by God. And he's washing their feet. That's why Peter was so adamant. Do not wash my feet. He understood the concept in their culture that you, a king of all kings, does not do this. And Jesus says, man, if I can't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Jesus knew that all authority and power had been given to him and he dropped to his knees and he turned the world upside down because of that. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what we're after. When we serve, listen to me, when we serve, we are participating in the kingdom of God, amen? But what really got me on this was, yeah, man, I, I've read that. Jesus is down on the ground. He's washing the disciples' feet. What really got me on that is I began to think about what Jesus said about the Father. We know that Jesus, God the Father, stepped down in Jesus Christ. We know the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, interwoven together as one. The three are one. But listen to this. In John 5, 19, Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. Do you have a view of God that he's so distant and so far away and that all he is, man, is this God that wants to, you know, just judge you and tally up the nicks about what you've done and what you haven't done? That all he's doing is just, man, he's just waiting. You just have this picture of God just waiting for judgment day so he can pull the lever, right? I don't really think there's a lever, but you know what I'm talking about. Like if that's your picture of God, I want you to picture what Jesus did. He just got down before these men that would sin against him and this one man that would sell him out and he washed their feet. And then Jesus says in John 5, 19, I only do what I see my father in heaven doing. Which means that he has saw God do this. <laughs> he saw God, the God of the universe who spoke oceans and universes and put them in their place. He saw the servanthood of the God of the universe, and he's just simply emulating it on earth. This is the heart of the Father for you. But what it comes down to is motivation. What's your motivation? Motivation matters. Real quickly, and I'll close out. Jesus says in verse 12, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Motivation for why you're doing this matters. And hopefully what you're seeing is that Jesus is interested in our motives behind our actions as well. Amen? There's a quote that I read and it says this. You can do the right thing with the wrong motive and have God call it sin. 
You can do the right thing with the wrong motive and have God call it sin. And so what I want to do is I want to share four misplaced motives of our heart real quickly of why we serve and try to dispel some of these and then the right motive of the heart. Number one is compassion. And you're, going to, you, you're saying that compassion is the wrong motive? Not all the time. But listen to what, I was listening to a message on this by a pastor and he broke this down. It was really good. Listen to what he said. Compassion. We feel sorry for something that we see. It moves something in our lives and we start to think, what if that were my family? And that's why we get involved in it. And he said, it's not always bad, but here's when it becomes a misplaced motive. What happens if our motivation, what happens to our motivation when we see something that doesn't stir our heart and so we just simply avoid it? You see, we can be compassionate towards things that we're like, what if that was my kids? What if that was whatever? And then we can see some other person who's been broken over here and we're like, nah, I just don't have compassion for that. It didn't stir my heart. There was never a moment where that didn't happen to Jesus. There was never a moment where Jesus was like, I'm really passionate for these guys, not so passionate for them. And so compassion can be a misplaced motive if we allow it to be misplaced. Number two, guilt. This is a big one. He says, I don't know if we actually realize how much we serve because of shame and guilt. We serve because we feel guilty. And so somehow by serving others, we can get rid of that guilt in our life. And I, I just want to confess, man, that we, we do that a lot in church life, don't we? Like if I'm just, just window to my soul, like I'm gonna call you, I'm gonna give you a guilt trip. Like, do you love Jesus? Well then serve in the nursery, all right? No, seriously, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but truly, it's, it's one of those things where it's so easy to guilt. And you know what, when you guilt somebody into serving, your motives are wrong and your attitude's wrong, amen? So we need to change that. It needs to be out of love. Like, yes, I want to serve 25 babies in a nursery built for 12. Yes, I want to do that. Like, that is my heart's desire. Diapers, bring them, you know, or whatever. Number three, force or pushed into serving. Kind of like guilt, except you're doing it, again, with a different motive. When sometimes, we sometimes serve because we're forced or pushed into it. And, and he gave an example of when you call customer service hotline when you're upset, Right? And he says, you call customer service, the poor person on the other side of the line is making $7 an hour, right? And they have to be nice to you because it's their paycheck. And so you're sitting there and you're exploding on them over why they did this and this and this. And they're trying to explain to you in the nicest way that somebody at the top made these operations for their business. But you, they can't really say that. And they're saying, sir, here's what we can do for you, right? And you're just ranting and raving on them about how you couldn't watch your big screen TV with the football game with your guys. And there's nothing in their heart that's going, man, I really feel compassion for that guy, right? Like that guy on the line isn't going, man, I empathize with you. He's like, get off the phone, moron, right? <laughs> but he has to be nice. Be, or she has to be nice. And why do they have to be nice? Because they know that it's about force over them. There are paychecks involved. They're going to get fired from their job. So the whole time while we're berating them because our internet doesn't work or whatever it is, the whole time that they can't control that situation, they've got to be nice and they've got to serve you, right? And so we've got compassion and guilt and force. And the fourth one is pride. We elevate ourselves above others and we feel uh, better about ourselves because we serve more than they do. <laughs> Going back again, like, I did this, 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 and this, and this. What do you do? Oh, you only do that? Well, I'm not saying I'm better, but I'm saying I'm better, right? And so there's a pride thing that builds up within us. So motivation is important. And so how is the right motive supposed to play out in our heart? And it's the motivation of love. Somebody say love. We serve one another out of 
love. That's our motivation. And I'll just read this real quickly to you. Levi Lesko had a, a word that he shared on this, and he said in, in Genesis 29, 20, and I love this. Genesis 29, 20, we read the story of Jacob, and Jacob has like, he's just like, has this love affair with this gal named Rachel. So he goes to uh, uh, Rachel's father, he says, I wanna marry her. And Rachel's father says, look, you gotta work for me for seven years. Seven years, then I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. And so you would think seven years, and he literally says, serve me for seven years, and you can have that. Now there's a lot of people who'd be like, I'm out. Listen to what Jacob says in Genesis 29, 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. You see, that seven years of serving Rachel's father seemed like only a few days because of the love affair that he had with Rachel. And he goes on and he says, love changes your perspective. When you love someone, it's not work to do sweet things for them. When you love someone, it's your delight to do those things. When you love, have love for them, it's a thrill, it's a pleasure. You are stoked to be around them and serve them. Love changes everything. That's why in Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus said, it said about Jesus, it was the joy set before him, the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. You, Jesus wasn't sitting there with a bad attitude going, I don't wanna go to the cross. Jesus wasn't sitting there with the wrong motives. It says it was the joy set before him. He was ready to go to the cross because he loved you. He was ready to serve and give his life as a ransom because he loved you. It was his joy. He didn't look at it as a burden. He desired it with everything in him. The realization of this will transform the way you approach doing the things that God has called you to do. Your love for God, which will grow in response to your understanding of His love for you, will lighten the load of the things that you are doing for Him. Meaning that when you're serving and you have a love for God and a love for people, it will not feel like serving. It'll feel like life. Did you hear me? When you have a love for God and you have a love for people, when you're serving, it won't feel meaningless. It won't feel tasking. It won't feel like you're serving. It will feel like life. Somebody say life. This is it. This is where we want to be. We don't want to just say, Jesus, we want to serve you. We want to do it. We don't want to just say, Jesus, we believe in servanthood. We want to do it. And so today, church, I want to ask you to stand up if you would in this room. I'm gonna ask you to stand up in this room and we're gonna make a commitment today, together as a body, that we're tired about just being hearers of the word, we wanna be doers of the word. And so if you would, just close your eyes in this place with me and I'm gonna pray over us and we're gonna make a commitment as a body of Christ that we are going to be servants for his kingdom, no longer going after our own selfish ambitions and vain conceits, but chasing after the things of God. And so Father, we speak that over every man every woman and every child and every youth in this room, God. We want to be a part of that generation that flips this world's culture upside down. God, we don't wanna just talk about serving. We don't wanna have bad attitudes in it. We don't wanna have the wrong motives in it. But God, we wanna serve because you are our delight and you delight in others. And so God, we wanna serve people out of love. And so God, would you stir our affections for this? Where we don't just become consumers, God, 
We don't just come in and become consumers, but God, everything that we're learning and everything that we're reading about that you did, Jesus, we wanna live it out as we study through your words. Thanks for listening today. If you wanna find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.